As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook or multiple free ebooks if you fancy. But now for today's show. Well, Adam, before we talk specifically about Martin Luther King Jr., would you just share a little bit about some of the things you do, I guess, um, from an apologetics perspective, particularly the work that you're doing through True ID? Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Adam Coleman. I'm the uh the uh, founder of True ID Apologetics Ministries. Uh, True ID stands for the real you, Imago Day. obviously Imago Day being a uh, Latin for image of God. And so a lot of my work revolves around that, just really uh, addressing identity issues and how our identity is grounded uh, in Christ and what that actually means, how we live it out. Um, just in the course of uh, initially getting into apologetics, you know, I, I encountered a, a number of uh, questions and objections to Christianity that were circulating, particularly in the African American context. And I just wanted to be a resource to uh, address those questions and objections. So um, I've, I've got material for all folks. And that's just one area of specialty uh, that I delve into. Thanks so much for that, Adam. Well, I certainly am very grateful for the work that you are doing. Thank you. Now, on Monday, the 28th of August, that marks 60 years since the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where Martin Luther King uh, Jr. delivered his now incredibly iconic I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Adam, your grandfather was at the March on Washington back in 1963. Would you share just a little bit of his story with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I just uh, brought this with me. Uh, popped over next door to his house, and I, I don't know if you can see this, but I actually brought a, a recording. This is a record uh, that was published. It was uh, live recorded that day, um, and then he, I think he purchased it soon after. I tried to get a, a date as to when they actually published it, but uh, yeah, this is this is actually from my grandfather's house. Oh wow! Um, genuine vintage, genuine article right there. You know, um, so my granddad liked to talk. You know, for sure, just in general. <laughs> One of the the things that he loved to talk about. Is, uh, was his experience that day. Uh, he, he was at the Marshall in Washington. As a matter of fact, it was uh, common for uh, Dr. King to try to contact religious leaders and lay, lay leaders in churches wherever there was going to be some sort of demonstration to collaborate with them uh, to to uh, you know pull off an, an event or something like that. And uh, my grandfather actually received a letter from Dr. King along those lines because he was the head of the, the usher board at the time. So uh, they enlisted him to be part of that organizing um, you know group. 
And so um, he was just very proud of that. He was always excited about it. And he used to talk about, you know, just that day, how, you know, everybody was uh, of one mind and of one focus, you know, uh, to get that many people uh, in one place without there being any sort of uh, you know, shenanigans and, and so forth. It's, it's, it's hard to do. It's very hard to do. But, you know, he just talked about how they were well prepared, you know, uh, before getting out there, there was a lot of talk about, um, you know, not bringing, you know, violence with you in your heart, you know, and not, uh, you know, doing anything that would disrupt the, uh, or I guess I should say undermine the integrity of what was going on that day, you know? And so he would always say, yeah, you know, when we, when we got there, you know, we, we marched down the road and, and as soon as it was over, everybody went straight out. Nobody stayed around in Washington. Like we, we got out of there immediately because we didn't want to do anything, uh, to disrespect, you know, Dr. King and, and what it would happen that day. And he was just so proud of it. Uh, just being there in that moment listening to the speeches and just seeing um, not only African-Americans, but people of various different ethnicities uh, of goodwill there together to essentially not only um, just for like an event, but just really celebrating freedom, you know, celebrating uh, the freedom that they believed was to come. So it was just very dear to him. And uh, for myself, um, you know, growing up here, I mean, goodness knows that goes back to as far as I can remember hearing that story over and over again. And it just really made, uh, black history, if you will, just, you know, close. It wasn't something that was way off in the distance back in the day, but it was right there in front of me. And so I, I just really, I always carried that with me in my heart. And I mean, you've definitely touched on this a little bit, and I'm sure your grandfather's impact had had a really profound impact on you. But how has Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech impacted you personally? Mm, yeah. Well, the I Have a Dream speech um, really is like an, an echo of a, it's like a kind of a culminating echo of all the freedom fighting voices of the African-American tradition. And so when you hear uh, Dr. King talk about that, that check, you know, uh, that has come back insufficient funds and then they've come to cash that check. I mean, that's, that's Frederick Douglass. You, know, you can hear Frederick Douglass in that, you know, with his, uh, was coming now to be known as the, uh, what's in the enslaved person as the 4th of July. Um, you know, you can hear Harriet Tubman in there, you know, you can hear, even in terms of, you know, the homiletic tradition, you know, just the repetition of phrases. I and mean, you just hear all of that um, in this one speech. And so for myself, I feel like it's always been uh, a call back to the best of what the African-American tradition uh, has had to offer. You know, I remember when I was in, in college, you know, from the outset, I mean, I, I actually my undergrad was in criminal justice and I ended up doing a master's in social work. I always wanted to impact the community. I always wanted to be that person who in my generation, you know, did something to, to move that call forward and echoing in the background of my own efforts, you know, has always been, uh, that I have a dream speech. You know, I think that it's just something that's powerful. I listen to it, you know, like every other month, just, just as kind of a reminder of what it is that this tradition has to offer. Now, do you think life is dramatically different in regards to segregation and racism than it was 60 years ago when Martin Luther King Jr. delivered this speech? Or do you think in some ways we've not gone anywhere near as far as he would have perhaps hoped that we would have done? Mm, that's a really good question. So that's a good question. And in some ways, it's a, I think it's a complicated question. Um, on the surface, of course, there are some things that have changed. It, it's it's irregular for, you know, um, groups of black people to be assaulted by police officers and, and water hoses. I mean, that's not a, a regularity, if you will. Um, there are laws that are no longer on the books that were like obviously uh, discriminatory. So certainly there have been some some changes in that regard. Uh, but in many ways, I do think that the um, the civil rights movement 
you know, as expressed, you know, by the the uh, I have a dream speech is in some way it's been misinterpreted. It's been misinterpreted in the sense that um, it wasn't necessarily a reparative movement as much as it was an access movement. You know, essentially it was, you know, these rights that should be afforded to all people, uh, whether it be voting or otherwise or what have you, uh, these rights that we've been restricted from access. And so, you know, the, the country needs to grant us access to the things that we ought to have already. Um, but it didn't necessarily repair the bruises that had been exacted upon, you know, minorities. So that's a whole different piece. I mean, there are economic bruises, there are social bruises, there are all types of bruises. So, for example, when you think about the practice of redlining, which I believe was uh, on the books, you know, from like 1935 to maybe 1964 or something like that, um, you know, 30 years of discriminatory practices from banking institutions doesn't go away. You know, just because you grant access to people to vote, you know, obviously there are economic uh, implications of that, that unfortunately, I, th- I think still uh, reverberate even to today, you know. And so I think that uh, while it is the case that, uh, of course, the, the civil rights movement was certainly a turning point, And I, I think there's been a great deal of uh, of change, positive change. And for goodness sake, we've, we've had a president in the White House. <laughs> so obviously, you know, there's been some progression. Uh, nevertheless, I think that there's still a ways to go. And I think that for, for that reason, I think 2020, 2021 took a lot of people by surprise, you know, um, when you saw so much unrest in, in regard to you know, racial tensions. Um, but I think if you understand that the civil rights movement was an access movement, that's not necessarily a reparative movement, uh, meaning uh, addressing those economic and other bruises that, that had been exacted by uh, the system, the government, then it makes a lot of sense why we would see a resurgence of that tension because there are still things that need to be healed. And I mean, this is an absolutely massive question, and I totally understand mm-hmm. if if you if you can't answer it. But okay. what, what do we do then to to heal some of those tension? You know, what what is the way forward? I guess building on the legacy of people like Dr. King, how do we move forward to repair some of that damage? Do you think, Adam? Oh, that's a great question, and I think one of the things that I I do love about America is that it has always been a place where the voice of, of the dissent. Uh, has a place in in the discussion. You know, you can go back to Patrick Henry, give me liberty, liberty, or give me death. I mean, it's it's that voice of, of of contention that holds value, you know, here in the States. And I think that we just have to continue to do that. We have to continue to honor that tradition and realize that um, no nation is perfect. I mean, that's, that's just the, the nature of human beings. Like, you know, human beings are imperfect and they create uh, imperfect systems and structures. And so with that in mind, it's it's no shame of a nation to be diligent, to to look for ways to continually continue to improve. And I think that's what we need to be about the business of doing. I think sometimes people, um, again, misinterpret, you know, the nature of a critique. You know, uh, I think that, you know, whether it be Frederick Douglass, I, I, I can name, a, a, you know, several others. Um, but it's actually in the critique that the love uh, for America is often expressed. You know, it's in the the desire to see America to be its best self, you know, that people bring concerns to bear. And so I think that we have to um, be discerning. You know, I think that we have to be be uh, diligent and disciplined, you know, in looking for areas where there can be improvement and then, you know, hop into the occasion when, when need be. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. 
Adam, there's a there's a line in Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech that I think always sort of gets me slightly choked up. I mean, the whole speech does, but but there's a beautiful line. You know, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yeah. I mean, do you think this dream has been realised sixty years later, or do you think we're still in that tragic situation where people are being judged by the color of their skin rather than the rather yeah. than their character? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a hard question. <laughs> it's a hard question. Uh, I'm, I'm the father of, of five little children, you know, uh, and so that's that's something that I think about uh, quite often. Um, I wish it were the case uh, that I could feel comfortable, you know, sending my kids out anywhere and everywhere, you know, not worrying about it. But um, I do have to think about uh, Tamir Rice. You know, I, I do have to think about um, the fact that my son, who's, you know, eight years old, looks like a 12 year old. And depending on the context might be mistaken for, for someone older than his age. And, you know, how unfortunately it is still the case that little black boys are often perceived uh, as being a threat. Uh, that's the reality that we live in, you know, um, and, the, and the, the studies show this out, but, you know, just about anybody that you encounter, particularly in African-American context, either them or someone that they know, someone that they're related to has experienced some sort of misconduct uh, at the hands of, the police, you know, I may not, obviously it's not always something, you know, fatal, typically something to a lesser degree, but that is a reality. And so, um, whether it be in that context or in others, I am mindful to, you know, let my children know that even though we love everybody and that's what Jesus teaches, um, nevertheless, we do have to be careful still, you know, because everybody doesn't abide by that. And so, um, I, particularly myself, I live in Virginia, you know, I live in the South and, uh, I actually, my, my day job, if you will, is uh, to be a community organizer, you know, where my job literally every day, all day is to work with clergy uh, in terms of building bridges so that uh, we can have the kind of communities that Dr. King's uh, uh, described. And every day, you know, uh, that I that I go to some of the localities that I work in, I have to drive by the Confederate battle flag. You know, I'm riding on Jefferson Davis Highway, who was the president of the Confederacy, and, you know, things of that nature. So um, it says to me that while there have been tremendous legal changes, you know, certainly, um, in America, uh, there's still some heart changes, you know, uh, that, that need to occur. And this is something that, that Dr. King acknowledges as well. Like he acknowledges that you can't change people's hearts necessarily with the law, but you can keep people from, uh, killing me, <laughs> you know, uh, by putting certain things in, in place. And so I think that's the dichotomy uh, that we wrestle with, you know, uh, certainly progress. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to undermine that. And I believe that it's a, it's a, a dignity to, uh, the greatest of our tradition, uh, to acknowledge the progress that we've made, uh, but I also think that we have to be mindful that there's still ways to go. Thank you so much for that, Adam. I mean, you don't have to look in great detail at Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech to see that it's completely saturated with the Bible. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. w- one of the things, as as we're talking about these really important issues, one of the questions that keeps coming up in my mind is, why was his belief in equality so embedded in a Christian worldview? And I, and I guess, what does that mean for us today when a lot of the West in particular seems to have sort of rejected Christianity, which is obviously the basis upon which Dr. King was basing so much of his necessity for this equality, because as you've already said so beautifully, mm. you know, we are all equal and loved in the eyes of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. I mean, that we could spend you know, hours talking about that because, I mean, you know, th- this I Have a Dream speech really does come on the tail end of a wave of freedom fighters, all, you know, many of whom, I should say, 
uh, tapped into the biblical worldview to ground their fight for abolition or fight against Jim Crow and so forth. Um, and so uh, Dr. King is greatly informed by that tradition. I mean, I can think about people like Ida B. Wells, for example, you know, who was a, another freedom fighter uh, who considered herself to be a missionary. You know, she wasn't just exposing lynchings, lynchings in the South, but she considered herself to be a missionary for for the kingdom, for the kingdom of Christ. We can talk about Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, we can talk about Martin Delaney, uh, J.W. Le Guin. Um, yeah, I mentioned Frederick Douglass. We can talk about uh, Absalom Jones, Richard Allen. I mean, there's just so many names uh, throughout um, and those who predate, uh, you know, Dr. King, who held on to the to the biblical worldview and then utilized that uh, in their fight for freedom. Uh, we would just run out of time, you know, try, trying to uh, address them all. I will say this, though, that um, it is unfortunate that many people have um, lost track of the necessity for maintaining the world, the, the biblical worldview um, as people fight for freedom. Um, I've written articles on this before, but the reality is, is that it particularly on something like atheism or, you know, other worldviews, you know, you just don't have that, that moral grounding, you know, um, in order to even have the vantage point, you know, to argue, you know, for something like uh, what, what Dr. King would be arguing for. And so I think we, we really um, pull the rug from under, the best of what a justice movement can be when we leave God to the side, you know, and that's something that you see, uh, you know, going back to the earliest points of uh, the freedom tradition uh, amongst African Americans. Um, one thing that comes to mind, if I if I could really quickly, is that there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Josiah Henson, uh, you know, quite some time ago. He was uh, the the real life person that Harriet Beecher Stowe based the the character Uncle Tom on with Uncle Uncle Tom's cabin. And uh, Josiah Henson was an, an abolitionist. He'd escaped the freedom at some point, you know, did quite a bit of tours in Europe and so forth, obviously advocating for uh, abolitionism. And, um, you know, one later in his life, you know, he decided he wanted to bring his wife back to the, the plantation that he'd come from. You know, so he writes in, in his autobiography that they go back and the, the plantation is overrun with rush and so on and so forth. And by this point, the his former uh, slave master had passed away. Uh, but the the uh, wife was still there. So he goes in to see her. Long story short, she's very sickly, can barely see, doesn't recognize him. And so the only way she's able to recognize him is that he has scars on his arms from when he had saved the, the slave master's life, uh, you know, decades before. And so in feeling those scars, she recognized that it was Josiah Wedgwood. She says, oh, sigh, sigh. I'm sorry to tell you this, but your master is dead and gone. And then he responds to her, says, no, madam, my master is yet alive. And he's referring to Jesus Christ, you know. And so is this notion of anchoring oneself in something higher than one's condition, particularly the God of Christianity, that for so many enslaved persons propelled them forward uh, to freedom and to strike out for the freedom for others. And it's really what you see, uh, again, culminating in the I Have a Dream speech, that voice uh, penetrating and being spoken to. Uh, American society more broadly. Adam, thank you so much. If if I could just spare one more minute of your time, sure, I guess sure. w- what I'd love to know is how do we, as you know, twenty first century citizens living in a country that in a not just a country, we're in different countries, in a place yeah. that is it, it's it's different and and not where Martin Luther King Jr. would have wanted it to be, but but we've gone a little bit of the way. How do we? best honor Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech in the way that we live going forward, do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think that um, when you look at the I Have a Dream speech, um, he talks about how this is just the beginning. You know, it's, it's not the end, but it's just the beginning. And particularly when you think about some of his writings where he's talking about, say, the, you know, the, the Vietnam War and, and nuclear power and, 
and uh, he gets into economics and, and just the importance of of uh, civilized nations engaging poverty. Dr. King ultimately had in view the Imago Day. You know, he, he mentions that in several of his speeches. They we need to honor the Imago Day, and it plays itself out in various different contexts. You know, uh, whether it be specifically in regard to race or whether it be in regard to you know how we leverage power you know, for and against one another, economics and so forth, as I mentioned, I think that the best way to honor Dr. King's legacy and to honor, um, you know, what he conveyed through that I have a dream speech is in your context. Who can you see? Who can you look out and see where that Omago Day is not being uh, respected, where is it, where it's being undermined in some sort of a way? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a racial slur or something like that. You know, of course, you know, that would count, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. You know, it can be in any way where um, somebody's the, just the image of God in that person, that, that basic foundation of dignity is being undermined. And obviously, you know, Jesus, you know, harkens to this as well. You know, so many times he talks about the least of these, you know, how God cares about the least of these. Um, we ought to care about the least of these. You know, we ought to care about people um, who are just on the, the rough side of wherever society happens to be, you know, the brokenness of this world uh, happens to be. And I think that if we're doing that, if we're being intentional about caring for the least of these, being you know caring for those who um, have not been treated in a way that's commensurate to the Imago Day, then that's the best of what uh, Dr. King would want us to, to live out. Adam, thank you so much. How do we find out more about what you're doing with True ID Apologetics? Okay, great. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely come on over to my website. Uh, I've been a little bit lazy with it, you know, as of late, so I'm trying to get some new articles up. <laughs> you know, but uh, True ID is T R U. IDapologetics.com. Uh, you can also visit me at my YouTube page, which is TRUID Apologetics. Uh, well, YouTube slash TRUID Apologetics, as well as on Facebook. Uh, I'm there listed as The Real Adam Coleman, Instagram, The Real Adam Coleman, and Twitter, The Real Adam. Adam, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. And please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.